0: Well, I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but I grew up in a home where we got measured often. Did y'all ever have that, where you had a wall or maybe a door frame somewhere in the house? And every so often, maybe it was around your birthday or a certain special occasion of the year, they would have you come and they'd say, come over here so we can measure you. And so you'd go up there and like any good kid, you'd get up on your tippy toes and get to push you back down, right? And then and they'd do a little pencil thing and they'd draw a little thing and you step out and you see how far you have grown in that past year. Now we do this with our kids as well. And we actually, this is actually our measuring stick from our house. This is the one that sits on our wall where we measure um, our little kids. And so um, we have four children. We have Caleb who's six, we have Krista who's four, and we have Andrew and Will who are four months old. And we don't measure the babies yet because they can't stand up yet, but we measure the other ones. And so you see, we have Krista started off right down here. And let's see here, I think that she's all the way up here at this point. And then we had Caleb when we got this, we started him off right here and he's all the way up here at this point. So our kids have grown incrementally. And every if you could get real close, you'd see every few years, they just grow a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more as we go. Now I want you to imagine with me if I were to get my kids and say, come on guys, I wanna I want to go ahead and measure you real quick. And I get my son, Caleb and i push him down. And I put him right here and did a little mark. And then my little girl, Krista, and she comes in here and I wade through all that hair. And I finally get the little mark in there and have them step out and they step out over there and say, hey guys, I want you to look and see how much you've grown. And then I look over at them and I say, are you kidding me? You've only grown that much this year. You ought to be disgraced child of mine how dare you? You should have grown much more than that. In fact, why don't you go to your room and try harder to grow? You you get out of here, right? Now, if you're a parent that does that when you measure your children, counseling is available to you at the conclusion of the service because it's not the way that we respond, right? Because any parent who's ever done this, any child who's ever been part of this knows that the joy in measuring your child is the celebration of growth. It's the celebration of seeing you take one step closer to your full potential. And we're in a series called Measures right now. And it would be really easy for us to look at these questions that we've been asking and look at them as a a checklist of do's and a checklist of don'ts. It'd be really easy for us to look at this as a burdensome thing that gauges just how spiritual we are. But it's really not about that. These questions are designed for us to gauge our growth. And you need to know whether you've grown by a mile or just one more step. Your heavenly father celebrates every incremental step you take in growth. That's really what this series is all about. It's about taking a step forward and growing in what God has for us. And so we've been talking about these different measures. And in week one, we talked about the first measure, which is, have I met with God today? The second measure was, am I giving or taking? The third one is, who are my 2 a.m. friends? The fourth one is, is my passport current that Pastor Danny talked about last week? And again, all of these are designed for the question, how am I doing? How am I growing in the way that God wants me to? Because see, here's the thing. If you thought that the Christian life was just kind of, you get saved and you just kind of wait for heaven to come, you're missing something. The Christian life was meant to be an exciting, thriving, growing, adventurous relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what this is about. How am I growing in that relationship? And today we'll hit this next question, which is, am I close to someone far from God? If you have your Bible today I want you to invite you to open them up to Luke 15. Luke 15 is where we're gonna be at first few verses there, Luke 15. Now this is a snapshot of the life of Jesus. It's a snapshot of how he spent his time. Now, I know we like to think of Jesus spending all of his time with 12 disciples, and he did spend a lot of time with 12 disciples. So that's not the only way that he spent his time. We like to think about Jesus teaching on a hillside with masses of people listening to him. And we did do some of that, but that's not the only thing he did. We like to think about Jesus with a long line of people that were infirmed and sick, and he was touching them and healing them. And he did that, but he did more than that. If you read through the scriptures, what you find is that Jesus is constantly close to people far from God, constantly. Like the guy Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy who understood everything about religion, but nothing about a relationship with God, and Jesus spent time with him. Or the woman at the well, who was ostracized by her, for her own society because she had had all these broken relationships with men. Jesus spent time with her. Or the tax collector, Matthew, who had betrayed his own countrymen and swindled people out of their hard-earned money. And Jesus actually made him one of the disciples. We could go on, we could talk about Zacchaeus, and we could talk about the demon-possessed man. We could talk about Mary Magdalene and so so many others. And Jesus constantly spent time with people far from God. So that's what we're going to look at. It's just this one snapshot of how he did this and learn from that so that we can apply it to our own lives. But let me say this before I get started. It could be that you find yourself in this room today for whatever set of circumstances, and you find yourself far from God today. And I just want you to listen, hopefully with an open heart and open mind. You may say, Steve, I'm not even sure that I believe in God at this point. Let me just say this to you. I promise you that if you'll just hear me with an open heart and an open mind, maybe the picture you'll hear about Jesus, maybe the picture you'll hear about God is maybe different than what you've heard before. So I just wanna challenge you to listen with an open heart and an open mind today. All right, let's start off here. Luke 15, here's the first point. Live a life that draws others. Live a life that draws others. Look at what it says here in Luke 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Him in this is Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners, notorious sinners, were drawing near to Jesus. I want to focus in on that word, drawing. In your Bible, uh, you may have a different translation. It may say this, it may say, gathering around, or they often came, they're coming near. What it tells us, though, is that Jesus was really popular with people far from God. They were attracted to him. They wanted to be around him. And why is that? I think that John gives us a good picture of this. In John chapter one, verse 14, we're told that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. And when people came around Jesus, he gave them the grace of God. He showed them the mercy and the love and the acceptance of God. But he also gave them the truth. He spoke hard things to people in love with a hope that they would hear that truth and come to the saving knowledge of a relationship with God. He was full of grace and full of truth. He lived a life that drew other people. So here's the question for us. Do we live lives that draw other people closer to God? Do we live lives that draw other people closer to God? Any coffee fans in the room today? Anybody like coffee here, okay? Some of y'all are lying today. Or maybe you haven't had your cup yet, so you're just so weak you can't get your arm up in the air today, right? I mean, we all love coffee. I'm a huge coffee person. I mean, just even the thought of it, I start thinking like I'm smelling it, you know, and it just, oh, it makes me feel so good, so warm inside, right? I love coffee. When I first started here as a student minister a couple of years ago, I got here early, my first Sunday, and I wanted to go upstairs and make coffee in the student hallway. We have our own coffee makers up there. Uh, they trust us with that, and not to burn down the building, which is awesome. And so we, we have our own coffee machines up there, and someone had told me, oh, you use nine scoops. You use nine scoops to make the coffee. You make, you use nine scoops. So I got up there and got the lights on, and I opened up the Folgers, peel off the lid, and I look in there and there's a, there's a quarter cup, one quarter cup scoop inside the Folgers. So I was like, They must like it strong here at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. So I one, two, three, four, five, pat it down a little bit, shift it, six, seven, eight, nine, right? And I put it in there. The water starts flowing through there. and It's like molasses dripping into the pot there, right? So I make the coffee on both floors and we're getting ready for everything. And then our 8 a.m. leaders start showing up. And I just tell you, our 8 a.m. student ministry Sunday school leaders are fantastic. They run on Jesus and coffee. That's how they do. And so they show up and they smell the coffee and they head over there. And this was the first time that I met Rick Burgess. Now, Rick, if you don't know him, is like kind of a man's man, right? He's an outdoorsman, that kind of thing. And he rolls over there and I'm kind of introducing myself and he's telling me a little about him and he pours himself a cup of coffee. He takes a little sip of it, jerks back like that. It was like a snake was coming after and like a bolt of lightning was coming out of the cup. It wasn't because it was hot, it's because that was some strong coffee. But to be polite, he did act as though he kept on drinking it. I don't think he actually drank anymore. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, right? We've had strong coffee. We've also had times where we've had like interns or volunteers make coffee and bless their heart, right? They put like one or two scoops in there and then you brew it and it's like, you get over there and you can see right through the pot, right? That's never a good scenario. You pour that into your coffee cup and it still smells like coffee. When you look in there, you see the bottom of the cup. That's not a good cup of coffee, right? See, a good cup of coffee is all about the right blend. It's all about the blend of coffee and it's all about the blend of the right amount of hot water. And I think Christianity can be a lot like that too for how we draw other people. It's all about the right blend. See, it's about the blend of truth. We have to have truth. We have to tell the truth. We have to speak the truth of God's word, but we have to speak it in love. Otherwise we come off harsh and bitter. When people get a taste of our life, they're repulsed by it. Or we have to also not just be about grace to the exception of truth. Otherwise we make things all about love. And we make things about acceptance. and We never hold people to a higher standard to tell them about the high price that Jesus Christ had to pay to forgive them of their sins. Otherwise, when the people taste us, it's tepid. It's it's not really anything that has any flavor or really matters to them. We have to be the right balance of grace and truth. And as we do that, we become lives that draw others. This is what Jesus did. And we need to have lives that draw others. Second point here is this. We need to make space for people that are far from God. We need to make space for people that are far from God. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 15, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, teachers of the law, they were grumbling. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I want you to hold that word grumbled in your mind for a little bit, okay? We're gonna come back to it, okay? It means to, to, like, uh, to, to, to get ill with somebody. It means to, to insinuate that maybe Jesus was doing something he should not have been doing. They were grumbling. But this is what they said about Jesus. This man, Jesus... He receives sinners and eats with them. He receives them. That word there means to give access to himself. I love the way that the message actually puts this. It says this. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. This was Jesus' reputation. Jesus wasn't saying this about himself. This is how other people saw him. They saw him as somebody who was constantly receiving and giving access to himself to people that were far from God. That was his reputation. So the question is, is it our reputation? Do we make space for people that are far from God in our lives? And we're busy. Each and every person in this room is busy. The USA Today a number of years ago ran, a, uh, ran an article and it talked about if we did all of the experts told us to do, if we did everything we were supposed to do to live a well balanced and a happy life, we would need 42 hours a day to make it happen, right? We're busy. But the busier we get, it directly impacts our ability to have influence with people far from God. In his fantastic book on evangelism called Becoming a Contagious Christian, Bill Heibel says this, I can always tell that I've let my schedule get out of whack when I find myself routinely passing up chances to express compassion simply because I lack the energy or the time. We can all be there, right? We just get so busy with life. We have to make space for people that are far from God. So a few days ago, actually a couple weeks ago, we were getting ready to go from point A to point B. As I told you earlier, we got small kids. And small kids are like an anchor when you're trying to get something done, right? When you're trying to get to a place on time, it's like they're dragging them along with you, right? I mean, it's like they're just anchoring you down. And so we were trying to get from point A to point B. We get all the gear loaded into the car. Everybody's buckled in. Everybody's got shoes on, which is a big deal in our house to actually have shoes on, right? Everybody's there except for my son, Caleb. I'm like, where's my son? And so, Caleb, where you at, Caleb? Caleb, hey, buddy, we gotta go. We're actually going to his baseball practice. Of all people, he should be on time, right? To be at the car because we're trying to take him to his baseball practice. And so we're sitting there. Hey, buddy, where you, where you at, Caleb? You need to get here, Caleb. So he finally comes around the corner. Dude, where you been? Get in the car. So he gets in the car and I'm talking to him and I'm in full on dad lecture mode at this point. Son, you know, it's a sign of disrespect to other people when you show up late. You need to show people that you value them by being on time. You need to obey when I tell you you need to come. He says, I'm in full on dad mode, right? And we start driving away and he points and he says, hey dad, that's who I was talking to. And I look over in the mirror, I see one of three guys that I've been praying for weeks now that God would open up the door that I could have an opportunity to share my faith with him. And here's my six-year-old who's right there and opening up the door and I just didn't take advantage of it because I was so concerned about moving from point A to point B in life. You ever have God just speak to your heart? It's like the Lord just spoke to my heart at the moment. It's like, hey Steve, I can't reach people through you if you're just too busy. Sometimes I just think we need to take a step back and think about how intentionally we spend our time to make space for people that are far from God. So what does this look like? Well, we just gotta figure out how to to put it into our everyday life, into the natural flow of life. And so so part of it is just a few examples. Taking a few minutes after the Little League baseball game to talk with the other dads on the team. Just ask them, hey, y'all go to church anywhere? Hey, tell me about that game and then look for the next opportunity to insert something spiritual in the conversation. It's for the mom to take a few extra minutes at the bus stop, right? It's for the student to not choose to sit at the same lunch table every single time you walk in the lunchroom, but to look for those people that are far from God and to sit there. It's for all of us to maybe text that old friend, the one that we haven't talked to in a while, the one that we are not 100% sure where they stand with the Lord, and say, can we go grab some coffee? And sometimes it takes a large amount of investment of time and energy, You read about that today if you read The Shade Story, where sometimes it does take a large investment, but more often than not, it's just making a little bit of space in our life and being intentional about making it so that we can be near to those that are far from God. Someone once said, don't say that you don't have time, just say that it's not a priority. And I think it's true. We need to Remember that Jesus constantly made a priority of those far from God and we need to do the same thing in our own lives. Let's make space and prioritize people that are far from God in our lives. Here's the third point. Share God's passion for the lost. Share God's passion for the lost. Now Jesus is about to tell a story here in verses three through seven. He's about to tell a story. and We're gonna read through it once and we're gonna go back and unpack some of the, the rich meaning that's here. Luke chapter 15 verse three says this. So we told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no, repentance. Let's go back through this real quick because if you can read through it and you can think that you get all the meaning there, but there's so much here. Look what it says here in verse three to start off. It says that he told them this parable. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the Pharisees and to the scribes, those people that have been grumbling at him earlier. He tells them this story. Now the Pharisees and the scribes, they get a bad rap from us. Because we look at them and we're like, certainly they should have been more understanding and that, that Jesus needed to be there with the sinners and those far from God. Certainly he, he should, they should have been way more understanding about that. But I think it's a little revealing once we get to verse four that maybe we have our own heartburn about this as well. Because it says in the story that the man, the shepherd, he goes out and he leaves 99 in the open country and goes after the one that's lost. If we're just honest in this room today, Some of us, that makes us cringe a little bit, right? Because he later on says, those 99 people, those are like 99 church people. he says, I'm gonna leave them behind to go after the one that is far from God. And what this does is it flies in the face of an idea that church should just be about my comfort. It's just about my growth. It's just about my, 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 my idea of what church should be. This is the idea that we're supposed to go after the one. This is the standard that God calls us to. And then in verse five, verse five is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. It says this, that when he has found it, when he has found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders. Why does he have to lay it on his shoulders? Well, the sheep has evidently gone so far away and is so weak and maybe injured that the shepherd has to lift it up and bring it on its shoulders back home back to the flock. It can't get there on its own. It doesn't have the strength for it. The shepherd has to carry it. Likewise, for all of us, we find ourselves far from God. Each and every one of us has been a person far from God. And when we found ourselves far from God, we couldn't get back to him on our own. We couldn't be good enough. We didn't come from the right enough family. We could not have earned our way back. What Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection is he lifted us up and he brought us back. He carried us back home. He carried us back to safety. And then it says this at the end of verse five, that not only when he carries it back, but when he's carrying it back, he's rejoicing. In verse six, when he gets home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he rejoices with them. He says, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Then Jesus ends the story in verse six and he gives us a picture of reality of what happens when somebody comes to faith in Christ. In verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. More joy in where? Joy in heaven. If you get down to verse 10, It says this, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Don't miss this today. Understand this, that when a sinner repents and comes to God, all of heaven, which for all eternity is singing the praises of God, crying, holy, 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 In that moment that a sinner repents, it turns focus to the one person coming home and rejoices as the father welcomes it back into right relationship. All of heaven rejoices. Why? Why is there so much joy? Why is it such a big deal? Why does heaven even turn attention to this? Well, I think the clue is in chapter 15. tells three stories. Tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or the prodigal son. Now, we're not going to unpack all three of those stories today, but what's the common theme here? It's they're lost. And there's rejoicing over the lost that is found. Jesus is trying to communicate the intense emotion of losing something that's meaningful. So this past December, we went to one of those living nativities. Anybody ever been to one of those living nativities before? Yeah, we went to one of those living nativities and it was us and like literally a thousand other people, right? We're all in this giant line together and there's this guy in a centurion costume, a Roman soldier costume and he's got the sword and he's like, stand to be counted in the census and he's going up and down the line, stand to be counted, right? And so we're sitting there and our kids are there with us And you all know that lines are like kryptonite to small children, right? They don't do well in lines. And so there's a patch of grass, an open area next to the line. And so our kids are like, please, 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 can we go play with the other kids over there in the grass? Some other kids playing over there. Sure, you can go over there, but you need to stay where I can see you and where you can see me. And so we're standing there. We're kind of watching our kids. They're running around playing. We're taking a few steps forward. And the centurions keep going, stand to be counted. And he keeps going back and forth. And so we're going along, and finally, it's our turn, right? We're getting our little group. It's our turn to go and see the living nativity. And so we get up there, and so we call our kids. Caleb, Krista, time to go. Let's go. Caleb comes immediately. Krista does not come immediately. I've been watching her, though, and she's kind of been playing and hiding with this other little person. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go. She's behind this bush over here. I've been watching her. So I go over there, and I look behind the bush, except for she's not behind the bush. So I look behind all the other bushes not behind any of the other bushes. So then I go down the long line and I'm thinking she must have thought we were further back in the line and so she must have gone back that way. So we go down the line, still don't see her and I come back and I make eye contact with my wife and I give her that panic look that like, hey, something's up look, right? So now we're both looking for Krista. We can't find her. She's three years old at this time. Can't find her. thousand people there. We don't know any of these people. We're thinking to ourselves, we just lost our child in the midst of all of this craziness there. So we're looking all over the place, check every place twice, and finally we grab the centurion. Like, hey, bro, we need to do something. Stop standing to be counted, and we need to find a little girl. So he takes his sword, he puts it up, and pulls out a walkie-talkie. He's like, we got a code 233 over here. <laughs> and so they radio around, and this sweet couple brings our little girl back there to us. And I held her in my arms there was just this intense feeling of relief and joy. Because my little girl who I couldn't find had been found. I think our heavenly father feels that way when the lost come home. I think that that's the reason why there's so much joy because these are people that have been created to know him, literally made for him. And so when they come back into his embrace, there's just joy. And so my question is, do we have that kind of burden? Do we have that kind of passion that the lost would be found? Share God's passion for the lost. Here's the next point. Are you the one? Are you the one? It says this in verse seven, just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents. Notice it says the one sinner. Hey, so for each and every person that is a Christ follower in this room today, we were once just that one sinner far from God. Remember how the story started? It said that Jesus was sitting at a table with sinners. Over the course of his ministry, as you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you would discover is that Jesus is constantly inviting sinners to his table. And I gotta tell you today, I'm just one of those sinners that was blessed enough to get invited to sit at his table. I'm just one of those people that should be spiritually dead and yet I am alive because of what God has done in me. And if you know Jesus in the room, that's your story too. And so that should motivate us to be the one, to reach the one far from God because we know what it's like to have been there before. And so we need to be the ones that live lives to draw other people. We need to be the ones to go out and make space for those far from God. We need to be the ones that share God's passion for lost people. We've gotta be that. So we wanna pray, we wanna ask the Holy Spirit to open up those opportunities and to open up people's lives and open up people's hearts so that we might have the opportunity to speak truth and grace to them. So here's what I want us to do right now. If you know Jesus in this room, who is that one person that you know is far from God, who is it? It could be a family member, neighbor, co-worker, another person on the team, another person in the class. It could be somebody that you went to high school with that you haven't talked to in a while. Who's the one person? And right now, I want you to begin praying for that person. Right now, I want you to be praying that the power of the Holy Spirit will begin opening their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Begin praying right now for that person. It could also be that in this room, there could be one or many who are those folks that find themselves far from God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. I want you to know this, that today in this room, God sees you in a room of hundreds of people. God sees you. And you need to know today that Jesus is for you, that he wants you that he wants you to repent. What does that word repent mean? It means that you turn around and turn your life over to him. And what you will discover is that if you turn your life to him, Jesus is standing there with arms wide open, ready to greet you back. And you can know him today. Say, Steve, how could I know God? How do I begin that relationship with God? Well, here's how it works. We believe that Jesus Christ is God's One and only son. That he came here, he lived a perfect life, he was fully God and fully man, and he died on a cross. You say, Why is that a big deal that he died on a cross? Because the penalty for my sin and for your sin is death and forever separation from God. And I'm not saying that looking down my nose at you, I'm a sinner too. Every single person in this room, the pastor of this church, the greatest, nicest, wisest person you know, every single person is a sinner. And the penalty for that sin is death. So when Jesus died on the cross for you, he died your death in your place. What's more, he not only died in your place, but he rose from the grave and he conquered your sin. He conquered it. And he offers you a relationship with him today. And so today, if you would come to him and you would trust him, then you could know him as Lord and savior. And you would not be far from God any longer, but he would draw you near. So I wanna invite everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're a Christian in this room, I want to encourage you to keep on praying. Keep praying for that person who is far from God in your own life. Keep praying for them. Pray that God would make you bold to share with them. But if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then here's what I want to do. I want to invite you right now to pray a simple prayer. I want you to understand the words of this prayer. They're not magical and quite literally. They're meaningless if you don't mean them when you pray them. So don't just repeat them because I'm saying them. But if you believe what I just said, you believe that Jesus has done this for you. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. You believe he rose from the grave. You believe you can have a relationship with him and you're gonna trust him. I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer silently in your heart as I pray it out loud. Pray this. God, I know that I have sinned against you. I've disobeyed you. But I also know and I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave and that you conquered sin. And so right now, I am trusting you to save me. And I ask for your forgiveness of all my sin. I surrender my life to you. I turn it over to you. help me to know you and to grow in a relationship with you. Draw me near And with heads bowed and eyes still closed all across this room. If you just prayed that prayer with no one else looking around, just look right up here at me if you just prayed that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, just look right up here at me right now. Right now. Go ahead and look up. Okay? Okay? Awesome. Awesome. If you're looking, keep looking. Okay? Okay? Awesome, 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 awesome. I'm so excited for you. Here's what I want you to know. If that's the first time that you've genuinely prayed that prayer, if you, you just met Jesus, and I gotta tell you, based upon what Luke 15 says, it means that right now in heaven, they are rejoicing that you've come back into a relationship with your heavenly father, and we wanna rejoice with you. So just a minute, we're gonna get Ready? To, to take our offering. And you may notice that that tear off that Michael noted earlier, there's a little card in there and you can check off the first box on here that says, I am committing my life to Christ today. Just check that right there. If you do that, we'll be in contact with you this week. We're not gonna harangue you. We're not gonna harass you. We just wanna celebrate with you and rejoice with you. Also, if you wanna talk with somebody today and we would encourage you to do so at each one of the major exits and over here to my left, your right, down here next to the stage, we'll have some pastors and we'd love to talk with you. so grateful today that you've chosen to place your faith in Jesus. All right, you can bow your heads again. I wanna pray for each of us today and pray that God, just a blessing over us, that God would give us strength and boldness to draw near to those that are far from God. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that for those of us that know you in the room today, you have chosen, you have chosen to give us an opportunity to come back to you through your son's death and resurrection. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much that you give us faith to trust you. And so Father, I pray that today you would help us, those of us that have once been far from you, to understand that and to now go find others that are far from you. And God, to draw near to them and to help them draw near to you. Holy Spirit, would you open up eyes and hearts of those that we're gonna have conversations with. Holy Spirit, would you make us bold in sharing with them and help us not to delay in this, but even this week, Lord, to begin sharing our faith with those that need to know you. We love you, God. And we pray that you would harvest, Lord, many that are far from you into a relationship with you.